incredibly gifted, and we are very fortunate to have her here this morning. So without further ado, the floor is yours, Megan. Thank you, Drew. Hi, guys. It is so, so good to be here with you all. Um, I really miss this community of believers. And actually, when people ask me in Colorado to tell them about my church here, I always tell them that I've never encountered a group of people, a community of believers that does church as well as Redeemer does church. I just saw you all love one another in ways that is very rare, honestly, in a church congregation. And so it is such an honor and a delight for me to be here. And even worshiping with you all this morning, I just kind of sat and was quiet for a few moments just to listen to everybody singing together. So um, this is a gift of a community, and I'm really, really honored to be here with you all. So um, we are going to talk this morning about Moses and the burning bush. Um, But before I read scripture and pray, what I want to do is just give you a little bit of a background that leads us up to this encounter that Moses had with God. So the Israelite nation were a nation of immigrants in Egypt, and they had gone there during the time of Joseph. They had grown quite a bit in number, and the ruler at that time, his name is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh became very... um, threatened by the growing population, so he brutally enslaves them in forced labor. And then as if that wasn't enough, he decrees that any male baby must be drowned in the Nile River. So there is a woman, an Israelite woman, who had a baby named Moses, and she does not want to kill her son, so she makes a basket. She puts Moses in the basket, and she floats him down the Nile River. Um, which is pretty risky as well. You don't know what's going to happen to your son. And as God would have it, that basket floated right to Pharaoh's uh, palace. His daughter found the baby, and she adopted him and took him as her own. So Moses, as an Israelite, spent his first 40 years in the Egyptian palace, growing up as an Egyptian prince. And so there was one day that, um, that Moses sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and he becomes enraged, and he kills the Egyptian. The Israelites see this, and they're questioning Moses on why he did it, but then Pharaoh finds out, and Pharaoh uh, wants to kill Moses, so Moses has to flee for his life. And for the next 40 years, Moses is in Midian, is in the desert as a shepherd. And that's where we find him as we start this reading. So why is all of this important to start out this way? It's important because the Israelite nation had been crying out to God. God, don't you see us? Please deliver us from this oppression. And actually in Exodus 2.25, which is right before we start the passage today, it says, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, which is what Drew talked about last week. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And another version says, God looked on the Israelites and he knew. God knew. God had a plan. Moses was God's answer to the Israelites' cry, and he would use Moses to deliver them. So with that, I'm going to read Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, 
I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to me. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have each of us here for a reason. I just ask that you would help us to set aside the things, the the worries that we carried in here. Would you help us to entrust them to you? Would you meet us together? Would we see your goodness and your beauty as a community? And would we grow in trust and love for you and one another? In your name I pray. Amen. Now, as we kind of work our way through this passage today, what I want us to remember is that regardless of your past, God sees you and wants to make himself known to you. And as we encounter him, we have opportunity to then show his love to other people. God has promised his presence, his power, and his redemption as we walk through both the brutal and the beautiful moments of life. So with this in mind, let's take a look at Moses. And I want to first start by just looking at the humanity of Moses, because I think sometimes we can look at the women and the men in the Bible and think that they are larger than life, when in reality they have stories that are very similar to ours. Now we find Moses here as a shepherd. We know that he doesn't even own the sheep. They are the sheep of his father-in-law. We also know from back in Genesis that Egyptians despised and hated shepherds. So it wasn't a job that everybody was lining up for. So Moses doesn't own the sheep. He's in the middle of nowhere in a wilderness with nobody around. And the people that he grew up with, the Egyptians, he knows that they despise the job that he's doing now. It's been 40 years since he left Egypt. That's a long time to contemplate 
the luxurious life he had as a prince in Egypt, and to now look at where he was in the middle of nowhere, that's a long time to remember the fact that he had murdered somebody and fled for his life. It's a long time to realize that his people were brutally treated, and he was in a position to help them, but because of one moment of unbridled rage, that possibility was now gone. The thought of redemption was probably long gone in Moses' mind. So I wonder if some of us can relate to where Moses finds himself. Have you ever found yourself in a place in life that you didn't think you'd be in? Maybe it has to do with your career or your children, your marital status, your finances. It's not what you dreamed it would be. Maybe you've lived with regret and shame is a constant companion. You see, shame causes us to hide. It causes us to turn our face from another, to try to keep from being seen. Shame will always disintegrate relationship because it puts a boundary in between us. But this also puts us in a quandary because every single human being longs to be seen. Not for the mistakes we've made, but for the person we truly are. We are created in God's image, in his beauty and his goodness. We long to be fully seen and fully known and fully loved and accepted. As a matter of fact, from the time we're babies, we are looking for and need healthy attachment to our caregivers. Now, this enables us to live from a place of wholeness and have healthy relationships with people around us. And there are four key components as a base to healthy attachment. And those four things are to be seen, to be safe, to be soothed, and secure. God created our brains with the need to be seen. Now, in his book, The Soul of Shame, it's an amazing book, and I would recommend that anybody read it, psychologist Kurt Thompson says, We are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. I just want to repeat that first part because it's pretty powerful. We are all born for someone that is looking for us. We are looking for them looking for us. See, the longing to be seen comes before we even have words to put to that longing. And I wonder if Moses ever asked the question, God, do you see me? Look where I am. I wonder if any of us have ever asked that question. Because not only do we long to be seen, but it matters who sees us. To have a stranger on the street take note of us doesn't really mean that much. We need to know that those who know us the most, that they're the ones who see us. But really, we can have all of our people see us. And if we don't know that God sees us and unconditionally loves and accepts us, then then all of the meaningful relationship in the world would mean nothing. It can't fill us without knowing that God sees us. To feel like God would turn his face away from us would be completely unbearable. But that's not our reality. 
The truth is, is that God shows up not only in our good days, but in our ugly, lonely, and confused days. And he reminds us of who we are and whose we are. The whole story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's the beauty of the gospel is that God wants relationship with us. And Jesus gave up everything to make that happen. And he doesn't just want us to be seen. He wants us to know that he sees us. And as we look at the encounter that Moses has with God, we see that not only was he seen and chosen by God, we also see that he saw God for who God was. Now, Moses was in the midst of his everyday, ordinary moment. And he noticed something peculiar. A bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed by the fire. Now, it wasn't uncommon in a desert for a bush to be on fire. What was uncommon was that the bush wasn't being destroyed. So he let his curiosity take him to it. And we see in verse 4 that it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from the bush, Moses, Moses. God set the bush on fire, but Moses still had to be the one to take notice. Essentially, to notice God around him. He could have kept walking, but he didn't. God wanted Moses to see him, and God wants us to see him. God will go to great lengths to get our attention and show us he's with us, show us who he is. We need to be willing to look for him. Even in, and especially in, our moments of shame and disappointment, he's there. It might just be in simple ways. Maybe it's you at the end of a really difficult day noticing and taking time to see the sunset. Maybe it's receiving the provision of groceries or a meal. or It's having somebody help you with your kids when you are at the end of your rope. Maybe it's a kind word that a friend shares with you. Or maybe a certain scripture repeats itself in random ways in different contexts over the course of a few different days. And in these ways, I believe God is saying, do you see me? See, in January, I had a family emergency, and I had to get on a plane pretty quickly to go from Colorado to Pennsylvania. What you need to know is that I hate flying. Like, I can laugh about it when my feet are, fan- like, firmly on the ground, but when I'm up in the air and we hit turbulence, <laughs> all bets are off. I feel like we're going down. So... On this particular day, not only was it the combination of my normal nerves to fly, but I was also very nervous for what awaited me at home. So my anxiety was particularly high. And when I got to the airport, I decided I needed a bottle of water. So I went to buy a bottle of water, and the man in front of me said, Hey, is that all you have? And I said, Yeah. And he turned to the cashier and said, I'd, I'd like to buy her water. And I said, thank you. I was taken aback, and I walked away, and naturally, I started to cry. I cry really easily. Um, you see, I felt so seen by a stranger. So then I get, as I'm getting on the flight, I've got a lot of friends that are texting me and telling me that they're, they're praying for me. So as we went to take off, I'm practicing my breathing, and I feel like the, that God said to me, like, Megan, I want you to imagine all of your friends that are praying for you, they are literally flying you home, and I am with you. 
In a moment of overwhelming fear and loneliness, I had a sudden peace, and it was very real. And then as I was flying, I decided that I wanted to buy a drink, but I didn't realize I didn't have the proper payment form to get the drink. And so the flight attendant was extremely kind, and rather than being frustrated with me, he gave me the drink for free. Now, when you fly, nothing is given to you for free these days. So this was kind of a big deal. So he walks away, and naturally I start to cry again. So, you see, I think what was happening and the reason that I started crying was that I was overcome by the fact that I felt so seen by God that he would use a lot of close friends but two totally random strangers to show me his presence and his love. And these acts of kindness may not seem like a big deal to you all, but they were exactly what I needed and God knew they were exactly what I needed. See, for me, I was going about my business that day, and these were my burning bush moments where God was saying, Megan, Megan, do you see me? Because I see you, Megan. And I think in verses 4 through 6, what we see here is we find Moses and God both asking, do you see me? Moses is seeing who God is while seeing that God sees him. He notes God's power and authority and is overcome by God's holiness. In the midst of the craziness of a burning bush, God calls him by name. Moses, Moses, you can't mistake that somebody sees you when they call you by name. Our burning bush moments, they can be ordinary moments, just as it was for me on the plane. God does come in really big, unmistakable ways like he did to Moses in the desert. But if we're only looking for those big moments, we could miss the ways that he's showing up all around us. Some days we'll see him, and and some days we won't. It's going to be really hard. And some days you're going to need other people, part of your community, to help you see God. And there's no shame in needing other people to help you see who God is. He gives us community to come alongside us and help us hold the presence of God when we can't do it for ourselves. And even as I say that, I just wonder if God brings friends to mind, people that have done that for you. God longs for us to see him. He's not a God that holds back or tries to hide or plays games. Your past, it can't keep God from showing you who he is. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus gave his life so that we could have redemption. And while he was here on earth, Jesus showed himself to the least of these. He spent time and revealed himself to people that nobody else would even look at. In the gospels, it's story after story of encounters that Jesus had with people like this. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is in John 4, when Jesus encounters a woman at the well. Now, this woman had lived with a lot of shame, and the community judged her because she had been with a lot of different men. She's at the well in the middle of the day, and women normally went to the well in the cool of the morning as a community. They spent that time together. But she was too ashamed of who she was, so she's there when nobody else would be there so that she didn't have to deal with them. And the loneliness and shame of this woman was heartbreaking. She was going about her ordinary daily routine when Jesus just happened to be at the same well. Now, she's a woman, which was looked down upon in that time, but she's also a Samaritan, and Jesus was a Jew. 
Jews and Samaritans typically hated each other. And yet Jesus engaged her in a conversation. He let her know that he saw her. And in the kind and direct way, Jesus let this woman know that he knew everything about her. And yet he wasn't backing away from her. Can you imagine, or maybe you've had it happen, where somebody knows everything about you, and just when you think they're going to turn their face from you, they stick in it with you. That's, that's what Jesus was doing with her. Because of that, she felt deeply seen and loved in a way that she never had before. And as a result, this woman became the first evangelist. She was the first person that Jesus revealed who he was to. And who did she become an evangelist to? She ran back into town to the people that she was so ashamed to be with. And she told them, come see the man that's told me everything I've ever done. She basically led with her shame. And as a result, these people, they came to see who Jesus was. And we know that many were saved that day. So she was going about her daily life. And Jesus showed up in an unpredictable, unmistakable way, just as God showed up to Moses. And they were both sent out to impact and lead people around them. So let's just take a quick look at how God called Moses to do that. In verses 7 through 10, God's telling Moses, I see your people, I see the Israelites, and I see how they're being oppressed. I won't turn a blind eye, I have a plan. So can you imagine Moses' relief? Like, God does see them. He knows. I I wonder what he's going to do. Then can you imagine his terror when God says, Moses, therefore go. I send you to your people. And Moses turns around and he says, what? Like, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, he's asking, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done God is sending him back to the man he fled from. But God didn't address his question about who Moses was. Instead, God made a promise. I will be with you. See, this is important because later in Exodus 33, God and Moses are talking again, as they often did, and God promises his presence to Moses. And this time, Moses' response is, if your presence does not go with us, Do not send us from here. Between chapters 3 and 33, a lot has happened. He dealt with with Pharaoh and all the plagues. He brought the people through a sea that parted for them. He got the Ten Commandments. The people are making stupid decisions, and they're complaining and grumbling, and they want him out of there. But in the midst of all of that, what Moses realizes is that God's presence is everything. He won't take it away from us. And as you enter into hard things each day, maybe your child's having problems at school. Maybe you don't know if you'll have your job in a few months. You have conflict with your family members. Maybe you're leading something that is way beyond your ability to lead. He will be with you. We may not be certain of how the circumstances will turn out, but we can be certain that his presence and power will be with us in the midst of those circumstances. And as Moses continues to push back, God just continues to remind him of who he was. 
Because Moses was going to have to come back to that moment again and again and again as he hit hard moments in the next 40 years. This would be a stake in the ground for him. that He could note, no, I know that God saw me. I know that God called me specifically, and I know that he promised that he would be with me. See, when I had the experiences in the plane in January, God knew that I would need to know his presence in a very real way. The next day, my sister and I stood by my mom's bedside as she passed away. Now, I needed to know that these small burning bush moments where I saw God was with me and he saw me, they helped me love my mom in the last moments of her life and usher her into the presence of Jesus. And in the days and weeks that followed, My brain was in a fog, but God used intimate circumstances between him and I. He also used so many people to show me his presence. Meals that were delivered, cards that were received, invitations to dinner so that I wasn't just alone at my house, thousands of miles away from my family. Care packages. A friend sent a robe in case I knew that I'd need a hug. And let me tell you something. For three weeks, I wore that robe, even over my clothes. And part of it was that I was too cheap to turn my heat up. (laughs) But I also knew that I needed a hug and needed to know that I was seen. The people who showed me love in those weeks likely didn't realize the extent that their impact had on my life. Their love, perhaps even their obedience to what God was asking them to do, it reinforced for me how gracious and powerful God is. These people were part of my burning bush moments where I couldn't escape the reality of who God is, even in the midst of my grief. And in community, we reflect people back to God as they reflect him to us. As God asks you to love people, you may never know the impact. You may be part of a burning bush moment for somebody else. See, the mistakes we've made, they won't keep you from making an impact on somebody else's life. What, what could this look like for you in the coming weeks? Pay attention to the ideas that God brings to mind, even if they seem simple or trivial. Maybe it could be inviting a friend over for dinner, helping a neighbor with yard work, offering a ride when somebody's car is not working, or sending a text or a card, just letting somebody know that you're thinking of them. There are opportunities all around us. See, God won't keep his presence from you because of the shame of your past. We see this in the story of Moses and the woman at the well. And the beauty is now that we, lived in, we live in the post-New Testament, meaning Jesus came and we know about Jesus. Moses didn't know about Jesus. He had an encounter with God that he couldn't even see through a burning bush. But Jesus came that we could have a relationship with him. I wonder where he's showing up around you. He won't turn his face away from you in the midst of your shame. Perhaps God has asked you to do something and you're terrified to do it. Who am I? Who am I to do this? Perhaps you're having a hard time seeing God because life is so hard right now. Maybe you're, you're, you're living in the shame and the regret. I just encourage you to invite others in. Ask other people to step into any of those situations with you. Ask him to give you eyes to see where he's showing up. Maybe it's at the end of the day, 
what you need to do is just have a little journal or piece of paper by your bed and write where you see the, saw the beauty and the goodness of God during that day. And then maybe it's sharing that with a family member or a friend so that you're recounting back and forth to one another. Because it's not only important for me to see where God's shown up in my life, it helps me to see where he's shown up in other people's lives as well. God longs for us to know that we're seen. And God longs for us to see him. He's a redemptive God and nothing can limit him from showing up in our lives. Nothing can limit how he chooses to use our lives in other people's lives. Our stories are not over yet. He longs to be with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the truth of your scripture. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your redemption. We thank you that you see us and that we can see you. Would you give us new eyes this week? There are so many stories represented in this room, so many things going on, so many ways where you need to be seen and we need to be seen. Would you help us to join with one another in showing each other who you are? In your name I pray. Amen.